and make way through this chapter. So let's hear the word of God. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to your word, your holy inspired word given to us a special revelation that would teach us how we might know you, how we might be saved, and how we might live. And so, Lord, this morning we pray that you would use your word, as you promised that you would do, to transform us and to make us more and more like you. And so, Lord, this morning we pray that you would open our hearts and minds that we might hear your word. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we're continuing our series that we've called Therefore. And it's the first word in this chapter, and it, it's, it's, it's the, uh, the, the conclusion. After you've become an, a, a person that is following Jesus, you've, you've come, become a Christian, the question is, now what? What does that mean? And this whole chapter here is a crescendo, a building of, uh, of just truth after truth after truth that is true of us as God's people. And as a matter of fact, they're really audacious truths, if you think about it. The things that he has laid out over and over and over again in this chapter are really kind of wild and crazy truths, if they're true. So let's remind you all of just some of the ones that we've talked about. It starts off with saying, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So if you are in Christ, there is no more punishment, there is no more judgment, you are as we call in the theological world, you are justified. You are declared righteous, just as if you have never sinned. So there's no condemnation before God. And also, in that, the Spirit comes and sets us free from sin and death and the things that held us captive. And not only that, but we are adopted as God's sons and daughters. And because of that, we are now heirs, fellow heirs with Jesus. And everything that is true of Jesus is true of us. His, the life, the perfect life that he lived is ours. The death that he died was on our behalf. The righteousness that is his is now ours. And the resurrection that he would be raised to life in is ours. And so everything... His, all the, the riches and wealth and glory of God belongs to us. However, we also saw that to be in Christ is to, to, to face suffering. Because if you're in the fallen, broken world, you are going to fa- face pain and suffering in your life. And that's just the reality of life. However, we saw also that we, we get an extra suffering. That if you become a Christian, it's not just that you suffer, but you suffer in new ways. We suffer with Christ. We suffer in our battle for sin. And we also suffer um, in, in anguish over the lost and for the church and for this world to be made the way it's supposed to be. Because we've been shown that it can be better. And so we suffer. And so that's been what um, Paul, in the second half of this chapter, has been doing, has been... To how do we deal with suffering? What does that mean for us as Christians? 
We are going to suffer. So what does it mean? So we saw first there's some hope in suffering. We also saw that there's help in suffering. That the Holy Spirit comes and, and intercedes for us even when we don't even know what to say. When, when we are hurting so bad, we don't even know what to say. The Holy Spirit comes and takes our prayer to God. And then last week we saw that there is purpose in our suffering. That God is working all things together for good. For those who love him and call according to his purpose. He said last week, everything in your life, if you are in Christ, is working towards a purpose. And so this week we're going to see that that is grounded and solid and secure. But let me ask, let's start with a question today. If I... Let me ask this question. Here, it's a really good question, I think. Do you think God has left your salvation up to chance? Do you think God has left your salvation up to chance? So we play a, a game. We've been playing. Actually, my son Ashton taught us this game recently. and We've kind of gotten into it. it. I think some people call it Farkle. They call it 10,000. And, and it's a dice game. And the goal is to be the first person to get to 10,000. There's all these rules and stuff like that. And, you can, and there's a little bit of strategy involved. You know, how many dice should I hold on to? How many should I roll? And, you know, there's some strategy involved. But in the end, it is a game of chance. It is a roll of the dice. And sometimes, man, you're just on top of the world. You're like, man, woo, boom, boom. You're just rolling them like they're nothing. Man, it's like, I'm really getting good at this game. And then all of a sudden, pfft. And it's bad, it's bad, you know? And it's a roll of the dice. So here's the question, is does God roll the dice with you in your life? Is it an accident? Is it, is it, or is it just left up to chance? Well, we saw last week, again, that that is not true. That if you are in Christ, God works all things, everything, good and bad, together He works them together for a plan and a purpose. And that we can have, we can know that no matter what's happening in our life, whether it's good or whether it's horrible, that he's using that for a purpose. That gives some hope. That gives some grounding in the midst of suffering and the sorrow that we face. Well, here he continues on. And like we've said, this is like a good piece of music. Remember we mentioned last week was Stairway to Heaven that you might hear in a local uh, guitar store? But it starts off with this pretty little guitar piece, you know, little acoustic guitar. And then by the end of the song, it is just awesome rock ballad, man. It's, you know, the whole band is going, and it's awesome. And that's what happens here in this chapter. He starts with, these, with this truth that we are justified. And because of that, we're set free. And, all the, and he's just putting, adding truth to truth to truth to truth. And it just builds and builds and builds and builds. And now he's even growing. And he's, he's moving now towards the crescendo, the, 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 the opening or the, the biggest part of this. And so here in verses 29 and 30, we are given a, a rock-solid foundation that our Salvation is secure. You're, if you are in Christ, your salvation is secure. And there's three reasons why. And he lays this out for us. That we know, that we can trust, and we can have confidence that everything is working in our lives for good. And we can have it, we have ground for sure that this is true. See, the first reason we see that is, is that our salvation is secure because God originated it. Our salvation is secure 
God started this whole thing. It comes from him. So think about it. How does a person become a Christian? If you think about that, most, most people would say, and this would be true, how did you become a Christian? Well, somebody told you about Jesus, or you grew up in the church hearing about Jesus, or you, and you heard about God and these things, and at some point in your life you said, I believe that. And you might have said, okay, I want to become a Christian. And so you might have did what I did. I met with a, this Baptist pastor, or Pentecostal pastor. I can't remember what it was. And he, he kind of laid out the truths of the gospel. And we, we prayed, a pray, prayed a prayer together. But the thing was, I decided to follow Jesus. I decided to become a, a Christian. And so I started following Jesus. started doing things and trying to live in a way that would be what a Christian should do. Quit, you know, cussing, quit smoking, all that stuff, you know, get a haircut, all that kind of stuff. I started doing. But here's the thing. While that was going on, I didn't realize that there was more to the story. Yes, I made a decision. Yes, I responded in faith. Yes, I started to follow Jesus. But there was something else going on. There was something happening behind the scenes. And, and what Paul's doing here and has been doing is been showing is kind of the inner workings of our salvation or what's behind the curtain, what's really going on. He starts to peek and we start to look behind and see, oh, there's more to the story than what I thought was happening. And, and we, we definitely have a part to play in our salvation. However, there's more to the story. It kind of reminds me a little bit, it was a car commercial and uh, there was a little kid, and he had a Darth Vader helmet on and a fake lightsaber. And he wanted, he, he, you know, his, he thought he could have the force and do things like Darth Vader could do. And so he went out to the car, and he started doing this. And all of a sudden, the trunk opens. The side doors open, and the engine starts. And he's like, whoa, I have the force. But what he didn't realize... His dad was inside with the key fob, you know, opening doors and targeting the car or whatever. That's not exactly the way it is because that kid wasn't really doing anything. We do have a part, but what Paul is showing us here, that behind the scenes, behind what's going on, there's more to the story. We see it first here, he says, we're told that God foreknew us. He foreknew us. Um, and, and what is this foreknowledge here? Okay, well, this foreknowledge is more than just the fact that God may know everything that happens. Okay, it's, it's saying more than, okay, God knew that what would all would happen, and so God in that would know what would happen. This, this, this word foreknowledge, this idea of foreknowledge in the Bible is much deeper and much more profound Okay, foreknowledge, somebody put it this way. Foreknowledge is God's favorable or special recognition. Now, because in the King James Version of the Bible, uh, every time people came together in marital union, uh, if I can say it that way, when, when, they, had, when they came together, uh, they called that to know them. And so it would say Adam knew Eve and had a baby. And this, this idea of knowledge is more than just an intellectual thought that God would know throughout time because he's God. 
but rather that he foreknew us and knew us intimately. And in that, there was a, a sense of choice and election in that. And so that God would, okay, so God's foreknowledge is reserved for those matters which God favorably, deliberately, and freely chose and ordained. So what does that mean? Well, you see an example of it in Romans 11, talking about the Israelite people. God chose a certain people, the Israelites, and he's called the people whom he foreknew. He had chosen them. He foreknew them. That's the idea here. Okay? And so it doesn't mean this general knowledge. Some would also say that it would mean that God, looking down in time, would see your choice of him, your faith, your response, and in that he would choose you because of what you've done. But you have to add that to this. Okay, he's saying that he foreknew us. He, he chose us. He put his attention on us before time started. Okay, so it's not, a, not looking down on some condition, something that we have done, but rather it's because he chose you. We see this in Deuteronomy uh, 7, 7. See this idea. It says, uh, and this is God talking about choosing Israel. He says, it was not because, is this up there? Yes, good. It was not because you were more in number than other people than the, that the Lord set on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of people, but it is because the Lord loves you. So it's saying he chose you not because you were great or awesome or did anything, but just because he loves you. And there's kind of a circular reasoning in that. So think about it this way. If my wife comes up to me and says, honey... Do you love me? And I say, yes, dear, I do. And she says, well, why? Let me tell you, the wrong answer is, well, you're a pretty good cook. Or you're, you know, you look pretty good. Pretty. Or give any other conditional reason that I love her. That's a bad answer. Why? Because as soon as she fails at cooking and comes up with some kind of Dorito casserole or something... Um, or whatever it might be, or she, you know, age begins to apply to, our, to her body or whatever, and she is no longer what she was before, then all of a sudden, my love is conditional, and it's not love. So what's the right answer? I love you. Why? Because I do. I love you because I love you. It's a circular thing, and it needs to be. Real love is circular reasoning there. And that's what, that's what this idea of foreknowledge here is, is that God foreknew us. And so he, he foreknew, he's originating this salvation, and then it says he foreknew us, and then we talked about this last week, he predestined us. Now there's, there's a plan that God is working. He is making this happen. Now, do we have a part in this? Are we puppets? No. We do have a part in it. We have, and how does that work together? I don't know. Okay, we, we have a choice. We've made a response. We believe. We need to continue in that relationship. But God is, is working this plan. He is predestining it. He's working all things together for a purpose. And so we can, our salvation can be secure because we know it didn't start with us and it doesn't depend on me to finish it. Did you hear that? My salvation didn't start with me. 
And it doesn't mean, so it doesn't, that means I don't have to finish it. It's not dependent entirely on me to finish it. Okay? So, God is causing all things to work together. We mentioned this last week. It was, if you have ingredients in a cake, the individual ingredients aren't necessarily good on their own. You know, if you go take a mouthful of flour, it's not a good taste. Or if you, what's uh, vanilla extract or a raw egg. You could put those, you could try to eat those individually. But it's when, when you, they are mixed together. They're blended in the right combination. And the good, the bad, whatever, and our lives are mixed together. And at, at the outcome, somehow in God's plan, will be good and glorious. A great cake. So we can, our salvation is secure, first of all, because God originated it. Secondly, our salvation is secure because God affects it. So look at verse 30 with me. I don't know if this will be on the screen, but, okay. Verse 30 says, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And so we see that God affects, affects our salvation. Now, let's do a grammar lesson real quick, okay? Y'all know the difference between affect and effect? Okay, the easiest way to do that, an affect is a verb, effect is a noun, okay? All right, the, it's the effect of something is a noun, and so it's saying that God is the one affecting, making our salvation happen, okay? Our calling and justification here. It says we are called by God and we are justified by God and God is the one involving himself and making those things happen so let's look at those together real quick I'm going to do them out of order but first of all in justification we've already talked about this I know it's a big theological word but what justification is already laid out by Paul is that God would send his son and that son would take our place and that we would take his place and in that act Okay, we would take on, he would exchange his perfect righteous life and that would be credited to our accounts and that our sin would be accredited to him. And so justified means just as if I have never sinned. And this is what God accomplishes for us. He reconciles us to himself, forgives us, and gives us a perfect record of righteousness. God is the one that secures that. You cannot earn your fav- the favor of God. You can't be good enough. You can't be spiritual enough. You, there's nothing you can do to earn God's favor. And so God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. We already saw this. So that we could be declared perfect and righteous in his eyes. So that now, every time God looks at you, he doesn't see a messed up, jacked up sinner. He sees his son, Jesus. God did that for us. And we can be secure. If if you don't hold on to that truth, your faith is not going to be secure. Because when the crap of life comes along... Suffering comes. Bad things happen. The, the immediate impulse is going to, going to be, what did I do wrong? God hates me. 
He can't possibly love me. Why would he cause this to happen to me? But justification says, no, any, if something's happened to you, it's not because God hates you and, and, and is pu- punishing you, because that is paid for. There is no condemnation. But in, in order to receive that justification, we're taught we must respond. We must have faith. That is, that is how we receive justification, we're told. That if you believe, trust, and have faith in that he has done it, it is given to us as a free gift. But we have to have faith. Now here's the problem with that, though. We don't naturally have faith. We don't naturally believe. Human beings don't naturally turn to God and receive these gifts. We're told the opposite is true, that we turn away from God. So if you look with me in in chapter 3, if you're going to turn back in Romans, chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, it says this. This is talking about humanity in general. After the fall of Adam and Eve, the rest of humanity, this could be said. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. They've all turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. In other words, every human being has fallen and none of us desire and want to believe and trust and rest in God. It is not going to happen. So if you wonder, if you've ever shared your your faith with somebody and, and they just seem to be like, they just won't, they just don't want it. If you wonder why the world at large turns away and rebels and rejects the message of Jesus, why they rejected Jesus himself, it's because of this truth. Human beings in the fall don't want God. We hate God. We hate what he's about. We hate that he wants to tell us what to do. And he, we hate the fact that we might even need his help. And so we're told here that God calls us. It says those whom he called, he justified. What does this calling mean? What does it mean if God was to call you? Now, in the Bible, there's two types of calling. I know this is getting kind of theological, but we need to go there. Okay? There's two types of calling in the Bible. There's what we call the general call of the gospel. So that would be the, the, you know, the message of Jesus going out into the world, this general call that the whole world hears. However, there's another calling that is described, and that's what Paul's talking about here, what theologians have called the effectual calling. In other words, it has an effect. It works. That God, would, God himself would go into individuals, do something spiritually in their hearts so that they would respond and believe and, and, and even want to desire God. Jesus described it as being born again. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to him. What do I need to do to, to see the kingdom, know the kingdom of God or come into the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must first be born again. Okay? Uh, John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus again tells us that no man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. 
Do you see that? What's the condition here? Nobody can come to me unless they're spiritual enough, they're smart enough, they're, they're righteous enough. What's the requirement? That God himself would draw a human being to themselves. So here's the thing. The fact that anyone ever receives Jesus and follows Jesus is an utter miracle of God. If you see somebody, you ever, ever say, has anybody ever asked you, have you seen a miracle? You can say yes. Because anyone genuinely receives Jesus and receives by faith what he has done for them. That, my friends, is a miracle of God. And here's the thing. I think as if, if you, I think every person, if you've come to know Jesus genuinely, and in your life, I think every person will, um, will, will come to a point where they say, you know, in spite of the work that I did, in spite of my belief, in spite of my choice, in spite of my sweat, whatever it might be, I'm a Christian. The reason I'm a Christian is not because I'm more spiritual, humble, dedicated, righteous than other people. It's because God has persistently loved me. And so I finally broke and responded to him. I have an illustration. I remember when I became a Christian, I told you all about this earlier. Um, I was investigating. I was seeking. You know, I was told to seek things spiritually. And I, I was hungry for change in my life. And I went to this church. And I, even though I had rejected the claims of Christianity based on science and evolution... I was challenged just to rethink that. And I was investigating and I was, I was kind of investigating Jesus and the claims about Jesus, whatever. And eventually I came to a point where I, I'm like, I, I think this Jesus is real. And what he said he, was true. And what he did actually happened. And it's amazing. And so I believed. And so I said, I want to become a Christian. And so I, I went to the pastor and said, hey, what do I need to do to become a Christian? And he said, well, you just got to say this prayer. And I said the prayer, and I became a Christian. I started following Jesus. And that's what I did. <clears throat> However, something else was happening. God's spirit was at work. I remember it was, um, it was uh, a day I, I worked a morning shift at Pizza Hut. And I had just gotten off. My friend, one of my good friends I grew up with, we, we were sitting down together having lunch. And... He, is, he was not a believer, not a Christian at the time. And I'm not sure he is now. I don't know. Uh, but we're sitting there. I'm sitting across the table. I can see it as if I'm there today. And I'd say, I'd say, Michael, man, it's the strangest thing, man. I don't understand it. It's like something is drawing me to go to this church and read this Bible. I think, I mean, you know, and it's like, it might sound crazy. And he says, yes, it does sound crazy. I think you've lost your mind. But even then, I recognized, even though I thought it was my choice, it was my doing, in a lot of ways it was, but it was God's Spirit drawing me to Himself. And that's what we're taught here, is that Jesus accomplished our salvation on the cross, and we didn't earn that, we didn't do that, and even our response to that is a gift from Him, of Him calling us to Himself. So our salvation... It's secure because God affects it. Our salvation is secure because God originated and actually makes it happen. And 
then so thirdly, our salvation is secure because God completes it. God completes it. He makes it finish. This, this really good news about all this is this last phrase. In verse 30, it says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, what you got to you got to look at this text here. Okay? These things that link together, they're called the golden chain. Okay? You, you can't add, if you add words, it becomes a problem. So if you say that some of those he foreknew, he predestined. And some of those he predestined, he justified. And some of those he justified, he glorified. There's a problem with it, isn't there? So you have to, you have to kind of assume the opposite of that. Everyone that he foreknew, he would predestine. Everyone that he would predestine, he would call. And everyone he would call, he would justify. And everyone that he would justify, he would glorify. And so, if he foreknew you, it is a done deal. And, and the, 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 the type of verb that Paul uses here for glorified, it's in the past tense. It, he doesn't use the future tense, which you would think, right? That he would glorify us. He's using uh, the past tense form of the verb here, which is saying it is a done deal. It is as good as done. You will be glorified. You can put your money on it. You can bank on it. And so, to be glor- so what does that mean? What is, it, what is he talking about here? That we would be glorified. What is that? What is he even talking about there? That's kind of a weird, strange term. Okay, Well, to be glorified here, Paul's saying is to have all sin eradicated and to may be to made perfect in body and in soul. So what Paul talks about earlier in verses 18 and 21, the glory that would be revealed in us, the glorious freedom of the children of God. So it's to be to me made perfect in every way, in body and in soul. Think about your life. What gives your life trouble? What gives our lives trouble? Our souls. We give ourselves trouble. We we mess things up. Relationships are hard. Our lives are rough because of the sin and brokenness that we exude into our lives and everybody else does. But also our bodies. Our bodies give us trouble. They're broken. They're fallen. And so to be glorified means that God is going to complete the project that he has begun. He is going to complete the project he has begun in your life. And what is that project? We've already mentioned it. What is is it that God is working all things together for good? What is that good? We saw it last week. The good is that we would be conformed into the likeness of his son Jesus. In other words, God, if he is saving you, if he foreknew you, 
And he's predestining and working all things together. He has called you. He has sent his son Jesus to justify you, to make you right with himself. And is that, is gonna, that is a project, and the goal of that project is glorification. And that means that we would be like Jesus. That we would look like Jesus. So who cares about that? Who wants to be like Jesus? That's a, I mean, if you think about that, I mean, I think about that from a, a secular point of view. It's like, who cares? But let's step back and think about what that means. Jesus, if the Bible says, what the Bible says about him is true, that means Jesus was the most perfect, lovely, selfless, giving caring, joyous human being that has ever lived. He is perfect in every way. Perfect in righteousness, perfect in selflessness, and that in that perfect in joy and happiness. And so the what he's what the picture is is that we would be made perfect. And all the crap and suffering and brokenness and junk that this life and these bodies offer us will be made perfect in body and in soul. And that we will live with God in joy forever. That's the promise. I have a, y'all have been around my house lately, you'll see that it's, there's a, a project going on in the, the front of my house. And it has been going on for a long time. And let me tell you, unfinished projects, I got them all over my house, and Amanda, she was here, she would be quick to point that out, all the unthing, unfinished things, you know, trying to remove a, a towel bar, left a giant hole in the guest bathroom, or there's an f- unfinished wall upstairs in my house. I mean, there's just unfinished projects. Unfinished projects are, are painful. They're messy. They're, nobody likes it, right? And so in terms of my house, you know, in my, in my, with Amanda particularly, she has a lot of angst and worry that these projects may never get finished. And, you know, if she's relying on me or we're relying on my neighbor who's supposed to be fixing my porch or whatever, there's, there may be a chance that, that may, those projects may never be finished. But when you're talking about God, God finishes what he starts. And that's the good news here, guys. And this is what this chain says is that if God foreknew you from the beginning of time, he looked down into the corridors of time and said, I love you, I want you, and began, even before this world existed, to work a plan to glorify you. Let me tell you, you can put your money into that bank. It is secure. That is the good news that is being declared in these verses. Is that we can be secure and know that whatever this life brings on us and and throws at us, we can be secure knowing that one day we'll be made right. So, this morning, if you are an unbeliever and you have not received Jesus, the call goes out to you. 
The invitation is there. All you have to do is believe it. Receive it as a free gift. And, and if you receive that, you take that, and you believe and trust in Him. Let me tell you, there's more to the story. God is already at work in your heart and has already been working a plan throughout eternity to make you into His Son, that we might be fellow brothers with Him. And the rest of us, believers, I, I look around this room, and I know, I, know most, most of, I know all of you, or most of you, and I know there's stories of heartache and pain and struggle. I mean, if we were to just write them out, I mean, it is heartache. It is broken. That is where we are. I know this. And it is hard. And what Paul is talking into is not saying, oh, if you become a Christian, your life will be better. God will give you perfect circumstances in your life. No, what he is saying is that no matter what you're going through, no matter what suffering, what pain, what is in your life, God is making it better. And he is going to glorify you. And, and the goal, we said last week, isn't that your life has these awesome, perfect little circumstances and in your little plan that know that it is bigger and it's way better than you could dare dream. And that that, my friends, is secure. Because God started it, He makes it happen, and He finishes it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us. Help us to believe this. Help us to trust it. Because there's so many days, so many times where it's so easy when our sin is overwhelming, the circumstances of our lives are overwhelming, or even when we see people around us suffering, we can't do anything about it. And we're tempted to think, we could do something to be lost or that somehow you've turned away from us. But Lord, we know our salvation is secure because of you. And Lord, help us. Help us to cling to that truth. Help us to rest in it. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.